Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to thank all my subscribers and listeners that dedicate a little bit of time just to hear what I got to say. Thank you so much, but the struggle is real and it continues. Please spread awareness and do your part by making sure that you are subscribed and liking each of the episodes that you listen to. Share my episodes and, and spread awareness of my channel and what it is that I'm doing. These things, these little things right here is what helps me grow and helps sponsorship come my way as I am a struggling ex-con. I appreciate the support, the love, and thank you so much for tuning in. More to come. Good morning, everybody. Thomas Free Me, the Thomas Free Me TV and podcast show, coming to you with a discussion about relationships. Relationships with felons. Are they good, bad, why? I would have to say that most uh, most relationships I've been in, the adversary would probably say it's bad. And they would probably give you a whole slew of reasons why it's bad. I haven't been in the greatest of relationships. This is true. However, I feel like it's because... These certain individuals never really took the time to understand me as in my trauma, the things I've been through, and why I was a certain way. But that's just me. That's how I feel. I know that I was a big part of a lot of the toxicity I was involved in. But I wasn't the creator of it. That That's... That's important to know. That's important to identify. It's okay to identify the fact that we committed to some of the toxicities. Because a toxic relationship takes two people, in my opinion. Because the way I look at it, if only one person is toxic, the other person will just leave. So there has to be toxicity in both people. So it's just recognizing the toxicity in you, your toxicity, and how you're attributing it. Are you the the benefactor? Are you the sponsor of terrorism in your relationship? We have to know these things. And in my honest opinion, from my deep analysis, I am not. But I could be. Does that make sense? I don't feel like I am. Because I feel like I'm always being triggered. Now, am I doing actions to trigger my spouse in order to trigger me? Hmm. We would have to process that. It's a good possibility. I have been a criminal most of my life. So taking that into account, I'm sure that there are dysfunctions within me that your societal norm your sensitive societal norm would not agree with and it would strike them as emotional and they would get in their feelings and then therefore trigger me into becoming a dick. Mm, sounds logical to me. How is everybody doing on this Tuesday morning? Are you blessed? Did you wake up happy, smiling? Did you give your spouse a kiss, a hug, tell them that you love them? Are you spending time with your fam fam before you get on to these people's business? This shit really sucks to have to get up and make other people money knowing you're getting a crumble of it. 
if you're not in that position, kudos to you, man, for for working working life. But if you are in that position, kudos to you, man, for putting up with that shit and doing what you got to do, manning up. Ain't nothing wrong with it. We just got to figure a way out of it. What's on the agenda for everybody today? What's the word? How's your week going so far? What's the end of the week look like? April 26th. Good God. Last time I checked, it was the 13th. Boy, this time flies, man. You know, a friend of mine who's who's up in his age told me that once you get 45, the next time you blink, you're going to be 65. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I still got so much to do. Hmm. Relationships with felons. Good, bad, why? Why is it so hard to form a relationship inside a prison and then when that person comes home, everything falls apart? I've seen multitudes of, of relationships that way. Why is that? Was it a hustle to begin with? There's a lot of women out there that are scarred from relationships like this. I would love to have some of them as a guest. For me, other than that, today is just going to be another Ubering day. And I'll tell you what, man. Every time I go out, I meet some really fascinating people. Because every time you get it, listen, you get in my car, you better be prepared for it, for an education or a conversation or a teaching. Because I'm looking to learn. I'm definitely looking to educate. But most of all, I'm just looking to meet people and network, man. I'm meeting some great, great people. Great people. Give you, give you a, a little story. Give you a little story. So just the other day, I picked this gentleman up by the name of D. We're just going to call him D. Now, D is trying to create his own nonprofit here in the Tampa Bay area and open a radio station. Right? Now, D gets in my car. He's got the, his little radio station T-shirt on, and I'm taking D to his job. He begins to tell me that his radio station is about, you know, just a community outreach and just awareness of what's going on in the community and such. And I stop him. I'm like, oh, man, whoa, 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 D. Man, do you know whose car you're in? I'm like, man, this is Thomas Freeme. Thomas Freeme TV and podcast show. I said, this is exactly what I'm talking about, D. This is what I'm doing. So we, we began to talk from that point on, trying to set things up. And I left D at work with all hopes of, of getting set up and, and, and maybe uh, uh, progressing what I'm doing a little bit, reach a couple little more ears, especially here in the Tampa Bay area. I'm really trying to get my my support here in this area because I got big things coming in the works. So later on, D texts me or D shoots me a text, I should say. I don't know. It's Texas text, texts, texts. I went all hood there for a second. Texas's. Okay. So D shoots me a text and he tells me that he has an issue with his son. His son was just arrested. He needed help. He didn't know what to do. His son's never been in trouble. His son's 21 years old. It's a family that they don't deal with the law like that. So I gave D a call. We talked. I found out what was going on. He, he got his wife on, on the phone and what had occurred, the facts is his, the son ordered and bought a gun online all legit everything was legit he bought the gun online it's in you know registered all of these things the gun was mailed to him to this to the house 
Shortly after that, he was walking in the evening time, going back to his house, and he had crossed the street, not at the crosswalk, but was just crossing the street, and a car of undercovers pulled up on him, you know, headlights on him or whatnot, I guess scared him, but he saw that it was cops, they saw that they had vests on, he said that's what he saw, that they had vests, the bulletproof vests, so he raised his hands, and he then uh, uh, confessed that he had a weapon on him. So now the son is charged with concealing a weapon. So upon learning this, my thing is this. Before I even get into it, we have to know our rights. We have to know without any assumption. You cannot assume anything when it comes to your freedom because these people are trying to take it. What little left we have. You have to understand your rights so you know the ground which you stand upon. He should have never been walking with that gun concealed because it is illegal in the state of Florida. You do not have a concealed weapons license. So you have to know that every time you leave that house with that concealed weapon, that is a charge and you will lose the right to bear that very weapon that you have because this is the intention. Furthermore, when you know that you're in the wrong, you cannot be breaking the law in any kind of way. He shouldn't have been jaywalking. He should adhere to all rules and laws. He was completely reckless. Irresponsible of the right that we are trying to protect. But he's 21 years old. And he's in a dangerous neighborhood. I get it. I understand. These are the complexities. So as I went on to explain this to the, to the, to the parents about, about this... You gave a confession. The son gave a confession. Now, what would probably happen without me being the interjector is these parents probably would have called an attorney. An attorney would have heard that story. An attorney in his mind would have thought $5,000, I'll try to get him a, a plea, get him down. Because the attorney is not going to go in and battle against the confession. You confessed to committing the crime. I'm not going to get any notoriety off this case. It's not no publicized case. This is just a case. Hey, listen, man, you're looking at 10 years. You give me five grand, I'll get you down to three. That is what an attorney is going to do. Because the way he's going to look at it is, hey, you shouldn't have been breaking the law. You put yourself in that position and then you told the police that you put yourself in that position and that you were breaking the law. And now you want me to what? The best I can do is just try to cut your time down. That's how an attorney is going to be thinking in his mind. I mean, I could be wrong. It's just my experiences, a lifelong experience of dealing with multitudes of different attorneys, being young, ignorant, foolish. I was shark bait, but I learned. I'm the type of individual, when you bite me, I'm going to learn why I got bit. And I'm going to tell the other people, man, this is why I got bit. This is how I got bit. And this is who the hell bit me. So... I went on to go with the parents and I, I said, with for me, I want to know why were those detectives there to begin with, right? This is what I asked them. I said, why were them detectives there to begin with? It's, it's why are detectives, un, unmarked, undercover detectives patrolling that area at that time? And I asked, is this a high crime area? Yes, yes, it is. Ah, okay. You see, now Florida has statutes. That's, you know, speak about high crime, high risk areas happens to be in all poor neighborhoods for the most part. But if you're in a high crime area, th then 
the rules slightly change a little bit. The police have a little bit more leeway in what they can and cannot do in these areas because it's a high crime area. Who labels these high crime areas? That's what I want to know. Who picks which area is a high crime and which area is not? Or do we do that with the crime that we commit in that area? <laughs> so I want to know why those detectives were there. Okay, it was a high crime area. Okay, so that's justifiable because that's what these detectives would say. What's well, a high crime area? This is what we do. This is our route. We're undercover. We look for drug deals. We look for gun sales, you know, things of that nature. And we just happened to be walking upon this individual that cut right across the street in front of us. And we jammed on our brakes and he confessed to having a gun on him. That's what these detectives would say. And that's probably pretty much to the truth. Possibly. Or were they following him? Was he targeted? Because we know that he bought the gun online. So we know that the feds were all over that. Especially in this climate. Anybody buying a gun online right now, I, I, I could rest assured, is put on a watch list and thoroughly investigated. I mean, I don't know. I'm not there. I could be wrong. But I'll put my money on it. So what's to say that they weren't following this guy? Maybe they were following him the whole time. Maybe they weren't even supposed to bump into him. And maybe he just walked, happened to walk right in front of them. Maybe he didn't know that he was, he's 21. Maybe he didn't know he was being followed by undercovers. I want to know why those undercovers were there that night. Their justification. That's what I want to know. So when you go to Mr. D, when you go and speak to an attorney, which I, I hooked them up with my cousin, which is an attorney, Courtney Benson here in the, the Tampa Bay area, sponsor of the show. But when you go to an attorney or whoever it is, you want to know why those detectives were there that day. What justification did they have to be there? Were you were you targeting my son? Were you following my son? Because we know that, you know, he bought this gun and we know that, you know, when that gun was delivered to the house. And it just so happens. By coincidence, 21 years of his life, he's never bumped into the law, but it just so happens. Two days or a day or however long it was after I. You know, my son receives his weapon. He bumps into undercover detectives with bulletproof vests. Imagine that. What are the odds of that happening? Now, I went on to explain that the issue is, is that your son gave a confession. So once that confession occurred, you're locked into that. You would have to show that you were just completely insane, out of your mind, had no idea what you were saying, doing to get out of that confession. And that's hard to do. Hard to do. I've seen people do crazy, crazy things to try to get this insanity plea or to try to get a confession up off them. Crazy things. And they try to stick with it, but they but these people know they know they'll put you through crazy things to to, to try to break you from from what they think if if you're really mentally unstable. I can't imagine the trauma that ensues in that, just just trying to find out. So I go on to say that we have to find the error that occurred before that confession. There has to be an unconstitutional error before that confession occurred. There has to be an error before that confession occurred. Now, me personally, 
I know that these these people work unconstitutionally day in and day out. So for me, it, it probably wouldn't be hard to find. It just takes a little work and research, something that a lawyer has to do. You have to direct the lawyer because if the lawyer feels that he can just tell you anything, he's just going to he's just going to look at you as a paycheck. But if you go in there and you say, listen, this is what occurred, but I want to know what them detectives were doing there that day, specifically how I laid it out. My son has never had a brush in with the law. He gets a weapon in the mail. He orders a weapon legally in the mail. It comes to him. And two days later, he's got undercover detectives with bulletproof vests. It just seems odd. I want to know why were they were there? Were they following my son? Were they targeting him? That is an unconstitutional violation. We have to remember the two rights that they take away from us when we get convicted. Your gun rights, your voting rights, so that we cannot raise up against our government militarily or legislatively. It's always about trying to control the vote. But getting back into the relationship aspect of this, it's very important because this is all community. We're in the community trying to survive. But we need companionship and trust in doing that. And when you're when you're dealing with somebody that has been through this system, trust is a very hard thing to come by. Because a lot of times you're dealing with abandonment. You're dealing with mischaracterizations. Stigma. We deal with a lot coming into a relationship. I find just being an Uber driver at the mere mention of me being a convicted felon scares people. Their demeanor changes, makes them nervous, anxious. Who is this guy? I'm in his car, my God, and he's telling me he's a convicted felon. Am I going to make it out of here alive? And when I notice that, I just quickly tell them to, you know, no, nah, no, nah, it's okay. You can Google. Just Google me. Google Thomas me. You'll see what I'm doing, who I am. They'll do that. They'll look me up. They'll see my stuff. And, and they'll, they'll become relaxed again and, and get into conversation. But it's the mention of it because of the stigma that's implanted in the brain about the word felon. There are some violent people out there that commit some heinous, heinous acts. There's no question. It happens in society. It happens in prison. Prison is society. It's its own world. It's its own environment with its own rules, its own life structure. Slavery, by all definition. It is what it is. And our community can sit there and, 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 and mock the word, or you can have some uh, individuals become emotional over that because the word slavery weighs so much in their mind. It doesn't change the fact of what is going on inside our prison industrial system. It's slavery. All slavery doesn't look the same. Industrial slavery, if, if you will. It is slavery. Tells you in the 13th Amendment that we can harbor slaves. They didn't abolish slavery. It just altered it. 2.5 million slaves in the United States right now. So a person going through that type of experience, slavery, and being in it long enough to, to where it, it rewires your thought process, rewires who you are, it all depends on who, who that rewired is. 
It just depends. It all depends on the individual and how they handle that time, that pressure of everything that goes on. I couldn't begin to tell you. I've seen people's face boiled off. One point you were able to get baby oil on commissary. People would take that baby oil, throw it in the microwave, wait for the person to come out of the cell, hit him right in the face with that baby oil. And then the first instinct to do is to wipe. Get it off the hot water, put splash cold water on it. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's a horror movie. I've seen people stabbed in their neck, blood everywhere. I've seen people die, beat to death, just for being on the wrong yard. Not being able to walk on that yard, but still thinking he was tough enough to do it. You have some people that commit suicide that way. Solitary confinement. I've seen people wipe shit all over themselves, all over the walls, throw shit on the officers, shit and piss, beat their heads on the, on the door for hours at a time, screaming for their mother, won't eat, hang themselves, swallow their tongues. This is the type of trauma that we deal with coming home. On top of the angst of being ready to combat at any moment. From the moment you open your eyes, when they hit that door, when they unlock that door, your eyes are open, you sit up, you put your boots on. Before you even put your clothes on, you put your boots on because you can't be barefoot because you don't know who anybody could rush through that door at any moment. You don't know what's going on. People can be plotting on you all night long from the day prior. So you just sit there. You and your celly get up. You know, you, 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 you go through the room, but then you go out on the compound. But at any moment, you don't know what could happen. Now, for an individual like me, I went to trial. I've never disrespected anybody. I always carried myself humbly. You know what I mean? I never talked bravado, none of that stuff. So for me, that angst really wasn't there to that degree. But just imagine you told on somebody. Imagine you, you know, you cooperated. And you're doing everything, your lawyer did everything, the court did everything to try to conceal your records. But at the end of the day, you still got to go to prison. And they kill you for this as soon as they find out. And not only that, but they do everything that they can do to try to find out who you are. They want to know who you are if you've ever told that is the law of the land. I want to know who I got around me. I want to know if you have ever had potential to tell because I'm a hustler. And I'm doing serious things in prison. Imagine that stress. A lot of temptations in prison. There's dope all over the compound. There's cell phones all over the compound. Homosexuals all over the compound that do their best to look as feminine as they could and act as feminine as they could. These guys will go out to visitation with their wives, their kids, be out there in visitation, hugged up on their wife all day long. Their wife may be playing with their junk out there in visitation, this and that. But these guys will be out in visitation, all hugged up with the women. They'll go back to the to the block with all that sexual frustration pent up in them. Then you got a homosexual coming around you, talking sweet, talking, talking light, smelling good. A lot of temptation. Prison is going to test your character. There's no question about that. Prison is going to test your character. And there's no hiding from who you are in prison because it's such confined quarters. Everybody knows your business. Everybody's watching everybody because nobody trusts nobody. Everybody trusts nobody. This is the type of environment that we deal with 
day in and day out. And when you stack years and decades upon that, and now this person is coming home. What is so hard to understand that this individual is really messed up, is really, really messed up. And the thing of it is, is that this person may appear to be okay. Talk intellectually, clean, clear, crisp, precise. But those habits of those decades and those years are there ingrained into him. I really wish this guy would take his weed eater somewhere. He's just standing out here with some overalls and a hockey mask on, staring at me with his weed eater. It's daytime, though. I'm not worried about it. It's nighttime. I'll probably be creeped out. <laughs> but relationships with felons, these are the issues. And, and we don't think about these things. We don't think about them at all. We think that these people are normal. We're not. I'm not. No matter how much I want to sit here and say that I am. I know that I'm not. I know I got quirks and I got issues. I gave you a list of things that I've been through and seen. We have pity on these people that go to war and see these things, but there's no sympathy for the for the returning citizen that's been through this. And I'm not equating a criminal to a to a veteran. It's not what I'm doing. I'm just equating two humans who've been through a large amount of trauma and stress and the result of that. These are some of the things that we really have to delve into, talk about, get into and understand because in my opinion, it's not a bad thing once, you know, when it's understood and there's a clear path to what has to be handled and dealt with. And both parties are, are OK with that because the returning citizen himself has to understand that he has issues. He has to understand that no matter how ready he thinks he is and he may be. But that but but he still he she still has to allow those processes of what occurred to go through its natural state. And a lot of times we don't allow that to happen. We come out and we just want to get right into a relationship, right into work and just forget about that experience and just and we think just by not even thinking about it anymore that it goes away. It's past us. We just keep moving forward. But it's going to come out, especially if you have secrets, secrets that you that that was going on inside that you're ashamed of or, or you don't want to process, don't even want to think about it. It's going to come out. The truth will always prevail. And you get into a relationship with a woman, especially a woman who's observant. She's going to know. She's going to know that there's some things there. So to be in a relationship with a felon, there has to be 100% honesty and understanding, compassion, and most of all, patience. Patience is a virtue when it comes to these types of relationships. We must know and understand that patience is a must. And we must understand that these people are going to fail. They've been failing their whole life. They have a track record of it. But it's understanding where that failure comes in at and helping them learn and grow from it. Because this is usually what our biggest issue is. We fail and we don't learn from it. Because there's no guidance. There's no proper guidance in there to, to show us why we fail. So we come to our own conclusions based upon the experiences and knowledge that we have, which is very limited. So it's patience, 
understanding that when these people fail, we don't get upset with them. We expected them to fail. But it's picking them up, dusting them off, and teaching them why they failed so that they don't fail again. That is what our communities lack. When our returning citizens fail, we just point the finger at them and, and, and aha, stats show you is going to fail. You're not ready for society. Off with his head. That method hasn't changed nor worked. So that's all I got for you today, guys. Again, this is Thomas Freeme. Good morning. If you're coming in late, good morning. Have a blessed day. Have a blessed Tuesday. Do something good in your community today. Help one person do something to make their life a little bit easier. Much love and respect out to all my listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for passing through. As always, much love and respect for the community. Thomas Freeme is for the people. We the people. Got Freedom Fest 2022 coming up in Atlanta. The beginning of July. July 2nd is the target date. Great story behind a woman, man, putting this thing together by herself, doing it all on her own off muscle and grind, paying for all of it out of her pocket is really amazing what there there are. And this is this is what I'm talking about, people. If you can do it and you know that you can do it, then do it. It's needed in all our communities. What this woman is doing is phenomenal. 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 I, I, I can't even put it in words what she's putting together. Freedom Fest 2022, man. Doing it all on her own, Dolo. Up there in the city of Atlanta. I'm going. Thomas Freeman will be there. Speak my words. I'm going to represent a Mr. Curtis Davis Jr. You can catch his episode on my podcast. Curtis Davis Jr. is an innocent man who was coerced into taking a plea for manslaughter because if he did not, he was under the impression that if he did not sign that plea in that moment, that they were going to arrest him and his wife for first-degree murder and his baby would become a ward of the state. So he did it to save his family, not knowing that the DNA evidence that had cleared him of that crime was produced four days before before this coercion. But the detectives spent all their time investigating no one but Curtis. And when he came back as innocent, as he's been proclaiming from the beginning, they didn't know what to do. They had to do everything they could to get this conviction out of him because the investigation was cold now. They put everything they had into one person. So I'm going to represent him up in Atlanta because these are the individuals that we have to speak up for and get them out of prison so they can live their life like you and I and try to rebuild. And then us community needs to come together and figure out how we can go after these prosecutors that do these things. It's rampant. It is rampant in every county, in every state, corrupt, powerful prosecutors that bend the rule to their liking for their convictions. A prosecutor will send a person to prison for life if they feel it will escalate their career. That is what we have to start attacking. My solution is that we strip them of their immunity. They have shown enough corruption 
to strip them of their immunity and start putting repercussions back on them. You bring 15 charges against me if I get found not guilty on air one of them, I can come back and now sue you for those damages. So you better make damn sure you know what you're charging me of. And you better make damn sure it sticks. Because I'm going to trial. We're not taking plea deals no more. All that's over with. You're not coercing me. You're not you're not putting this pressure on me with these 15, 20 charges to get me to plea out to two of them. Because if I take them, if I take them 15 charges to trial, even if I get found guilty of two, I'm coming at you for the mother 13 because I know what your tactic was. And it and it disallowed me from having a fair and honest trial. I couldn't even properly represent myself because I'm fear of if I lose, you're going to try to give me life. All of that comes to a stop when you strip these people of their immunity and and hold them accountable for the atrocities, the human atrocities that they've done. Kamala Harris has let innocent people die in prison knowingly to save her own career. And now she's vice president. Did her some justice to let to allow innocent people to die. She was a prosecutor. This is what they do. You can catch all these stories on my podcast and you can either believe them or not. But these are human beings that are crying out for their life that have factual evidence of their innocence. Yet they are still in prison. Temujin Kinsu, 37 years, they won't release them. They don't know what to do with them, they said. They're scared he's going to sue, and Michigan has no money. So they hold him in prison, hoping that he dies. There's not a doubt in my mind they don't sit in them offices and, and, and just wish that this guy would just die because it would solve all their problems. 37 years in prison as an innocent man, just a kid, swept off the street and wrapped up in a conspiracy to cover up that the mayor's son was a crackhead. He was just messing with the wrong girl. She got wrapped up with the mayor's son, got involved with the murder, used her, her two-time and boyfriend as the scapegoat. She's lived the rest of her life, had children, lived happily. This man's been in prison. I'd like to know where her life is at right now and what kind of life she truly really had with that type of karma. But... It is what it is, people. I love you guys, man. Be safe today. Be happy. Be joyous. Be good in your community, man. Stay safe. Stay blessed. This is Thomas Freeman. You can check me out, www.cominghomecoalition.com. If you're in the Atlanta area around July 2nd, make sure to stop in, man. Stop in. Freedom Fest 2022. Peace. I'm out.